SumaUp is next-gen body optimization from an actual doctor that's guaranteed to get you in the best shape of your life in 90 days. You'll be at peak levels for each of the fundamentals that drive your strength, energy, and even your longevity. It's a lifelong difference you'll see in the mirror, but also feel throughout your entire day. SumaUp puts more living in life. For full details on this transformative program designed for the demanding lives of today's highest achieving entrepreneurs and CEOs, visit www.startsuma.com. Hi there, it's Dr. Ryan, and today we're going to talk a little bit about a issue that arises with some of my patients, and that is erectile dysfunction. And this is just a basic overview of my thoughts on it. We're going to kind of talk about um, the pathophysiology behind it, some of the treatment modalities you can utilize for it, both conventional and integrative. And again, this is really just a um, another set of information that you can utilize uh, for if you are working with another provider, utilize this just to uh, add to your knowledge base. And then also to give you an idea of how I um, evaluate individuals who have it in the clinic. So let's go ahead and, and talk a little bit about it. So I open up this PowerPoint. Okay, so erectile dysfunction. All right, so to start off, uh, just a little bit of background about erectile dysfunction. So what is it exactly? It's the inability to achieve or sustain penile erection for satisfactory uh, sexual performance. It affects a lot of men across the US. This statistic is rather old, 30 million American men uh, who are affected by erectile dysfunction. I suspect that's increased particularly after coronavirus and with individuals not following a healthy diet, not training, maybe uh, secondary to isolation measures and closing of the gym. So I imagine this is probably a little bit higher. Um, not to mention some of the psychiatric issues that have occurred owing to that. And then um, one thing that's important to realize is that many times uh, erectile dysfunction can be linked to vascular health and thus cardiovascular health. So if a new onset erectile dysfunction can be ominous and may be an indication for certain providers to um, evaluate your heart function. So uh, let's go on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how it actually occurs. So essentially what it is, is just blood flow. And so blood flow occurs into the corpora, corpora cavernosa, which are these two tubular structures that kind of flank the penis on the dorsal surface. And in addition to something called the corpus spongiosum, which is a smaller tubular structure, both of these structures engorge with blood during erection, and they are responsible primarily for the rigidity uh, of, found of the penis. And this uh, diagram kind of describes what is going on. So during the process of erection, there are Within the corporate corpora cavernosa, there are these uh, special, there's this special type of arterial circuit with trabecular arteries that engorges with blood and uh, swells. And that, in addition to the um, network found in the corpus spongiosum, contributes to the rigidity of, um, of the erection. Okay, so physiology of the nervous system. 
So it's a fairly complicated system involving, a, uh, involving both the autonomic nervous system, the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system, in addition to the central nervous system. And very briefly, you have afferents or basically uh, nerves that detect sensation that go up to the central nervous system of efferents that are involved in smooth muscle relaxation and ejaculation. And the afferents are primarily via uh, the parasympathetic system, whereas the efferents are a combination of both the parasympathetic and the sympathetic system. And in addition, there are coordinating interneurons within the central nervous system that are involved both for facilitation of sensory input, but also uh, they can actually trigger erection on their own, and hence the situation where there is no stimulation of the penis, but you develop an erection. And again, a uh, very complicated system, but basically there are uh, uh, dorsal nerves of the penis, which uh, connect to these pudendal nerve afferents, which go via the parasympathetic system and travel up the spinal cord to this uh, central nerve, to the cerebral cortex, and then uh, go via efferents to control um, erection, and uh, which is primarily due to vasodilation of those ar arteries in the corpus cavernosum. And then uh, towards the very end, uh, particularly in terms of ejaculation, uh, the parasympathetic system and the sympathetic system coordinate together to promote that. So what exactly is occurring uh, at a, in terms of biochemical status? Well, um, Acetylcholine is released on postsynaptic receptors on arterial endothelial cells. And I'll have a diagram that kind of demonstrates this a little bit better. This in turn leads to nitric oxide secretion by the endothelial cells, which uh, leads to dilation of blood vessels, okay? And how does it do it? Well, the nitric oxide uh, basically potentiates guanylyl cyclase and this in turn increases cyclic GMP, which then in turn decreases intracellular calcium, which then finally causes vasodilation of penile blood vessels. And this is important to realize because it's uh, part of this is how phosphodiesterase five inhibitors work. And so finally, as these arteries are vasodilated, the corpus cavernosum, the corpora cavernosum, along with the corpus fungiosum, fill with blood. And uh, in addition, so they fill with blood, but they also compress subtunical venules, which are precursors to veins. And uh, this restricts blood flow out of the penis. Okay. And so just to kind of talk about that, nerves innervate the endothelium, which is the inner lying of arteries, which are primarily perfusing the penis. And what happens is acetylcholine uh, releases nitric oxide within the endothelium, this inner layer, which then acts upon vascular sm smooth muscle. And what occurs primarily is the nitric oxide potentiates guanylate cyclase, which uh, converts uh, GTP, guanosine triphosphate, to cyclic GMP. And cyclic GMP, the increase in that seems to decrease intracellular calcium stores and cause smooth muscle relaxation. This is important because 
the phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors such as Cialis and Viagra, Tadalafil and Sildenafil. Um, these basically work to block the breakdown of cyclic GMP to um, guanosine monophosphate, right? And this is potentiated by this enzyme phosphodiesterase 5, and that is blocked by uh, sildenafil and tadalafil. Okay, and so that way, if you have more cyclic GMP, you have uh, more of a decrease in intracellular calcium, which causes more smooth muscle relaxation and facilitates penile erection. And again, this is just another di uh, diagram that kind of describes what's occurring. Remember, so through nerve stimulation and through that process we described, you get vasodilation of the arteries. And there is this interesting trabecular network within the corpora cavernosum, which is just interconnections of many different arteries. And so what occurs is that as the vasodilation occurs, the smooth muscle relax relaxation occurs, this spongy network of arteries fills with blood, right? And you can kind of see it in the flaccid view where it's not filled with blood and the erect view where it's filled with blood. And during that entire period, both the corpus cambrinosum is filled with blood and engorges, so you get an erection, but at the same time, the venous system, the venules, uh, which lead to the deep dorsal vein up here is compressed. So you have decreased blood flow out of the penis, which allows you to have a sustained erection. Okay, so we kind of talked about how an erection occurs. Let's talk about a little, a little bit about why it doesn't occur. So some of the causes of erectile function, dysfunction, the most common are related to the cardiovascular system or atherosclerosis. As you can imagine, uh, there's a lot of blood flow. Blood flow is very, very important to erection, right? And so if you have any sort of scarring of the arteries, that's likely to uh, decrease the probability of occurring. And you can see this occur. Erectile dysfunction oftentimes is correlated with high blood pressure, endothelial dysfunction. And as I mentioned, new onset erectile dysfunction is an ominous harbinger of uh, heart disease potentially. And so some primary care practitioners, if it's uh, new and you have uh, potentially have other risk factors may move you towards a cardiac workup. Um, because the nervous system involved in erection is quite complicated, anything that disrupts it is obviously going to be linked to erectile dysfunction and diabetes is one of those. But I've heard show the fact that you'll have increased blood glucose concentrations, which can um, dramatically affect neurotransmitter output. This can lead to neuropathy. And uh, there, as I mentioned, it's a very complicated um, innervation in regards to how sensory nerves and both efferents and afferents uh, work to create an erection. So anything that disrupts that could, could certainly impede it. So making sure that your hemoglobin A1C is uh, you know, under 5.7, ideally under five, making sure that you're eating a diet which, uh, in which you control your carbohydrates, you stay away from simple sugars and try to utilize um, complex carbohydrates and maintain insulin sensitivity is key to reduce your risk of erectile dysfunction. 
And then of course, as we age, we're going to get declines, uh, a decline in hormone levels, particularly testosterone and DHEA, both of which are linked to erectile function. Another age-related decline that's not necessarily related to hormone levels, but just to age, is a decrease in the penile elastic fibers. So there are these fibers that are within the corpora cavernosa of the, of the penis, that, and within these trabecula, and if they become too rigid, it's difficult for uh, blood to flow in and to engorge. Right, And so with decreased elasticity, which can occur with age, of course, um, you may have some difficulty with um, uh, having an erection. And then of course, there are psychogenic causes, depression, anxiety, or stress. And this appears to be more common with younger individuals, but it can of course occur in any segment of the population. Okay, now um, hormonal levels, let's talk a little bit about this. So testosterone is clearly linked to uh, erectile dysfunction. And it, we believe it's because it's secondary to nitric oxide release. It seems to improve nitric oxide release, which as you know, is correlated with uh, vascular smooth muscle relaxation. Uh, it also is improved. It also seems to improve libido too. Um, so, uh, and again, if you increase nitric oxide uh, release, you're likely to have decreased breakdown of cyclic GMP as well. Um, there is, this a low testosterone level seems to be one of the main reasons that you'll have failure of the phosphodiesterase five inhibitors to work. So if you might utilize this, a physician might initiate this therapy, but then wonder, well, hey, how come it's not working? Well, oftentimes a low testosterone level may be one of the reasons. And by improving this, you can, you can um, get appropriate change. And so I, ideally, I like to improve levels to a free of 20 to 30 nanograms per deciliter and a total of 900 to 1,000 nanograms per deciliter. And I use LabCorp primarily. Other lab systems may have different uh, concentrations for what's considered normal, but this is where I like to keep my patients. What about DHEA? Well, DHEA is a precursor to testosterone. It is, it's important in production, but also it appears to be a pretty interesting neurosteroid that is improved, that is important in dopamine and uh, norepinephrine release in the brain. And low DHEA levels are linked to erectile dysfunction. Also, it appears to be linked to low libido. And I like to keep um, patients levels between 200 to 350 micrograms per deciliter. What about estradiol? So in certain individuals, you may have excessive conversion of testosterone to estrogen. And then of course you have decreased testosterone levels, right? And as we know, decreased testosterone levels is not good for erectile dysfunction. Um, there has been evidence suggesting both low and high levels of estradiol are associated with an increased risk of heart failure. And I usually like to keep my patients between 20 to 40 picograms per milliliter. Right? And of course, this is using uh, lab cores ranges. Now, um, sometimes I have to utilize anastrozole to um, decrease aromatized uh, activity, which is how testosterone is converted to estradiol, but sometimes I don't. And one thing to realize is if you have a fairly high amount of body fat, of adipose tissue, you're likely going to have a significant conversion of testosterone to estrogen. As you get leaner, this will decrease. Okay. What about some conventional therapy? Well, 
there are several different modalities. One of the most common are the phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitors. Two of the more common medications we utilize are sildenafil and tadalafil. Um, and what is, and again, how do these actually work? So as I mentioned, and that kind of complicated regime, the acetylcholine acts on uh, the endothelial cells to release nitric oxide, which then goes to guanylate cyclase, which then converts GTP to cyclic GMP, which then decreases intracellular calcium in the smooth muscles and causes smooth muscle relaxation, which then increases blood flow, right? And uh, during this process, cyclic GMP is very important, but it's broken down to cyclic GMP, which is inactive in this process, uh, by phosphodiesterase 5 inhibitor. And so, or phosphodiesterase 5, that enzyme. So an inhibitor of this enzyme can drastically improve cyclic GMP and thus improve smooth muscle relaxation. And that's exactly what these medications are. And... Um, so again, since they are, um, since they do cause vasodilation, uh, they work quite well, but there are some side effects associated with them. Um, headache, nasal congestion, flushing, prolonged erection, although this may be overstated in individuals that stay within the um, dosing ranges, both for Cialis and uh, for, for Tadalafil and Sildenafil. And then of course there is a concern when you combine this medication with other medications for cardiovascular disease, in particular the nitrates, and that's because uh, you may have pretty profound vasodilation when you have a um, blood pressure medication, nitrate blood pressure medication, and so you have to be really careful um, if you do have heart disease and you're taking those medications. One thing to note is that they seem to improve erectile function primarily, and not libido. And also if there's failure to, to double check and see where your testosterone levels are. And uh, the two main ones, sildenafil and tadalafil, uh, the main uh, difference is primarily through their uh, effective time. Tadalafil is, has a much longer duration of action, 36 hours versus sildenafil, which is eight to 12 hours. And uh, that is why I typically will use this uh, in my patients. Uh, and it's been shown low doses, two and a half to five milligrams, as opposed to 20 milligrams, it's typically uh, dose can work quite well. And at low dosages, there is some, uh, well, it's already indicated for treatment of benign prostatic hyperplasia. And there is some research suggesting that it can help reduce cardiovascular outcomes by virtue of the fact that it decreases blood pressure. So uh, it's a it's a great drug all around, and that seems to be the uh, the medication I I uh, suggest to patients um, who have this issue. Okay, there are other medications that you can inject directly into the corpora corpora cavernosum. Uh, these are called intracavernosal medications, and I do not utilize these in my clinic, although they are pretty popular. Uh, many urologists will utilize them uh, with their patients. And again, it does require uh, some specific training um, to ensure that you're injecting these medications in the correct area. Basically what you're doing is you're taking one of these medications and you're injecting it into the corpus cavernosum. Uh, again, the, those blood filled channels within the penis. But remember, you have to be really careful because uh, there are there you have to inject in the right position because there are certain anatomical structures 
that you could damage uh, the dorsal penile artery, which is at the very top of the uh, penis. And of course, you never want to inject anywhere near uh, the base of the penis, right? With the um, or, or the ventral surface where uh, the urethra is. Uh, even though the corpus spongiosum is here, and you could uh, get some benefit in terms of injecting in that area because you'll get some vasodilation. It is really close to your urethra, and it's definitely not uh, something that's recommended. So, what are the three medications th that are utilized? Alprostadil, papaverin, and ventolamine. Alprostadil is a prostaglandin and has vasodilating properties on its own. Papaverin appears to inhibit phosphodiesterase uh, um, enzymes, which as we mentioned, uh, actually this should be decreases intracellular calcium release. And however, there is some concern with hepatotoxicity if you use it continually. And then phytolamine blocks alpha-1, alpha-2 uh, adrenergic receptors, which causes vasodilation. Um, and, uh, and this is primarily smooth muscle constriction. So all of these seem to improve blood flow. But as I mentioned, because of the fact that uh, they require specialized training and there is a potential for uh, some damage to certain structures, I try to stay away from these if, if at all possible. There are all, also vacuum erection devices or VEDs, and these artificially increase blood flow by uh, just primarily um, encouraging blood flow in the corpus cavernosum. And um, there, these have been around for a while, uh, one of which is one particular um, pump that's very popular is the bathmate. And although there isn't a lot of, uh, there aren't a lot of research studies indicating its effectiveness, there are many anecdotal reports of it uh, providing some benefit to patients. Um, surprisingly, it seems to, help, um, it may potentially help in terms of improving girth and length, although this is not potentiated by research, but there are many anecdotal reports of um, patients who are very happy with this device. So this is another um, device that may be of utility. And then there is ultrasound. So low intensity ultrasound shockwave therapy or the gains wave this is basically where uh, you have low intensity ultrasound about like 150 waves per minute or so, which are directed at certain areas of the penis, primarily where there are, where the corpus uh, cavernosum is and potentially the corpus spongiosum just to break up, um, break up and, uh, or to increase blood flow within those channels. And we're not entirely sure what the mechanism of action is, but it seems to increase vascular endothelial growth factor. And it causes these uh, very, um, very minute uh, tears within the uh, uh, vasculature, which in turn over, uh, over time seems to improve blood flow. And so by just uh, a couple of sessions of uh, over a period of 12 to 15 weeks, there have been certain individuals that have seen pretty significant improvement in terms of erectile function as it appears to increase vascular flow. Okay, and then finally, to end off this presentation, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the integrative interventions that I utilize. So again, number one, um, as I mentioned, erectile dysfunction for many, many individuals, in fact, the majority is really a vascular issue. So any supplements that you can do to improve your uh, vascular health 
things like coenzyme Q10, fish oil and krill oil, magnesium, carnitine, and B vitamins to reduce homocysteine is really, really important. Anything to improve your lipid panel, anything to improve uh, or decrease your risk of developing diabetes, anything that is going to reduce risk of long-term chronic illnesses that will um, affect the arteries is going to help with erectile function. In addition, there are other supplements that can improve vasodilation. Arginine appears to improve vasodilation. It's an essential amino acid and taking five to 10 milligrams has helped some daily has helped some of my patients. If your DHEA levels are low, remember you want them between 200 and uh, 350. Let me go get that right here. See, 200 to 350 micrograms per deciliter. Um, it may be a good idea to consider utilizing DHEA, 25 to 75 milligrams it, uh, seems to do the trick. And of course I would make sure that you check labs uh, to, to get within that range. And then, then you have yohimbine, which seems to block alpha-2 adrenergic receptors and cause smooth muscle, this should be relaxation. And at five to 10 milligrams daily, that's the dose I typically use. One thing to remember though, is some individuals may develop anxiety with yohimbine um, at higher doses. I, I rarely see it at the five to 10 milligram dose, but just be aware of it and try not to go much higher than 20. Okay. Well, hopefully uh, this has been helpful and um, has given you some information about erectile dysfunction and maybe uh, giving you some more uh, talking points with your PCP or um, your provider that's um, involved in, in treating this.